0: Welcome to the Spirit Seeker Hour. Spirit Seeker Hour is your chance to delve into the world of your inner spirit. The Spirit Seeker Hour is brought to you by Spirit Seeker Magazine. Go to www.spiritseeker.com to find out more. And now, here's Cindy Meyer.
1: Hello, and welcome. And it is my divine pleasure to bring you this show each and every week, interviewing some of the top authors. People on the uh, cutting edge lines of doing work for the mind, body, and spirit, and making the world a better place. We interview uh, musicians, artists, authors, and just you know, really, it's a it's a diverse, eclectic mixture of people. And there are over 200 shows archived for your listening pleasure, day, night, anytime you can listen to them. So, this issue of Spirit Seeker is um, is online, and it's our February issue. We are just sending our March issue to the printer in the morning. There are some excellent articles on improving your love life with feng shui, heart health recipes, rewiring your brain for love, 10 natural immune boosters, on and on, and then um, there's information about the weekly radio show. So, commercials are out of the way. Here we go. We're going to have fun tonight. It is... Um, It's just fun. I've I've interviewed Don Miguel uh, Ruiz Jr. before with his father and I have experienced their teachings many times and read their books and, you know, the Four Agreements and then the Fifth Agreement. And uh, tonight we are going to be hearing about uh, Don Miguel uh, Jr.'s new book, The Five Levels of Attachment, Toltec Wisdom for the Modern World. So hello and welcome to the call.
0: Oh, uh, thank you, Cindy. Uh, Cindy. How are you?
1: You know what? I am really well. <laughs> it's, um, you know, we I live in the Midwest, and we we had seventy degree weather the other day, and then it dropped into the fifties, and then today it's in the thirties, and you know, you just never know from moment to moment. But the yeah. winds are here, and I I know I love the winds because you know when I feel the wind, I just feel movement. Okay. So yeah.
0: Well, that's the thing about the weather. It allows us to feel alive. You know, the the constant reminder that everything is changing and that everything evolves, and it's it's beautiful. You know, sometimes we get get we can get so busy with all our responsibilities that sometimes we completely forget to be uh, to be alive. And then, the, but the weather always reminds us that you know life is moving, life is flowing, and we can surf it like a beautiful wave and enjoy it, or Sometimes we can completely go into our own little bubble and forget about it, but the weather will always let us know, hey, I'm here.
1: I agree and in, in the Midwest we say if you don't like the weather just stay 24 hours and it'll change.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that's, oh, that's fun right there. <laughs> oh
1: my goodness. Okay, so so you have been on um you landed into a very interesting family with the lineage of your grandmother um and your father of course, yeah. but you know, you were age 14 it's my understanding when you were asked to do the translation of some yeah. of your grandmother's teachings so mm-hmm. so let's let's start with what this was like you know to work this closely with with the the matriarch the the wisdom keeper of of your grandmother
0: well it was wonderful because for me it was spending time with my grandma whom i love very very much uh my apprenticeship well like you said i was i was 14 years old when my started my apprenticeship along with my brother don jose and at the time because my dad really wanted us to uh, focus on school he put us with uh with my grandmother to share and work with her to share us what she's able to give and at the time my grandmother was living in san diego and she had her own little temple where she did a lot of healings and consultations and did her uh sunday sermons and such so she didn't speak any English, she only spoke Spanish. So, part of my responsibilities was to translate for her, basically getting to know and learn from her directly. And at first, when she started uh, working with me, you know, she would, I would translate and she would go slow. You know, she would say a phrase, I say it, and it was uh, slow at first. But when you talk with someone who talks about inspiration and spirit, eventually she hit a moment where she started to pick up the pace. She started going fast, and all of a sudden I had to really catch up, sometimes trying to omitting, trying to create words that make sound. But I always began to fall behind because I was always looking for the right word. I was always looking for that right meaning. And in doing so, well, she left me behind. And she did that for several years until one day she stopped me and says, because she always gave me a smile when she, when she did that. She asked me, "Do you know why you always stumble?" And I, you know, I just said what I just told you. You're going too fast. You take, you have a bit more compassion of me. And she says, "Are you using knowledge, or is knowledge using you?" And I was looking at her with somewhat perplexed. And she asked. She went on to say. What you're doing is that Instead of listening to me You're listening to your own voice To your own thoughts Processing what I'm saying to you You're you're perceiving yourself Not me You're not listening to my words at all Imagine doing that with life Always living life But processing everything you perceive Processing everything you experience but instead of actually paying attention to life, you're paying attention to your mind. Hmm. And with that, she began to teach me how to meditate. She says, imagine that instead of your voice that you're listening to, you're used to listening to my voice, to me speaking. Yes, it may be in Spanish, but if you listen to it and be the first word, when you open your mouth to say something in English, it'll be faster because you're actually listening. And as we, I began to practice, eventually I was able to translate for her word per word up into the same speech. Even when she totally got into her inspiration, I totally was able to um, keep up with her. Now for that, I, I had to close my eyes. And focus completely. I couldn't let any other thought interfere. Because if a thought came in, well, I would lose her again. So I totally just engaged her in that way. And for me, this is the way I learned how to meditate, to clear my mind. And in a space where I had no choice but to clear my mind. Because here we are in front of people. Here we are in a moment. And all these people uh, are wanting to hear what she has to say. And I'm the voice they're listening to. So, in that aspect, I got to even to the point where I was even capturing her mannerisms, I was capturing her little expressions. And with that, she taught me what she did, which was some would call it channeling, but I simply call it living because I was listening to her words and allowing life and knowledge began to be my ally. Because I began to use knowledge not as the word of translation, but as the tools that I use to in- express what I'm perceiving. So, in, in the question and the, the main uh, basis of my book, the five levels of attachment. Each level represents an answer to that question: Do I control knowledge, or does knowledge control me? It's in in that in that essence the ability to recognize when my knowledge completely blinds me from seeing life, you can say that level five in fanaticism, where I'm so attached to knowledge that knowledge controls me because it gives me all the rules by which life is supposed to be, especially me. With level four, internalization, I've used my knowledge to give me the rules of my own acceptance. but but I'm beginning to open my awareness. At level three, identity, I identify myself with what I know, but knowledge becomes a clear reflection of life. At level two, preference, I know that knowledge is something separate from me, and at the very root of it, there is my yes, but I use knowledge as the instrument for manifest um, transformation. And at level one, The authentic self, which is simply the name of me, is life. I am alive regardless of my knowledge. So, in essence, this whole book, this whole, my whole practice comes from that moment in my grandmother's transition. And you can say that it started with love and sharing my grandmother's love. Uh And then, as the years progressed, I began to understand her lessons. So, to me, it was a magical moment, uh, mostly because it was my childhood, but also because I got to spend time with a woman who that's so strong that I love very, very much, and that to me was magic.
1: You know, my um, I had the 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 good fortune of my grandmother being a healer, mm-hmm. and um, she the she did not talk about it much, but. You know, but she she had the gift, and people came from, like, all over, and she was very quiet about this, Um, and in her latter years, she joined uh, a more strict religious uh, type of church that said that was the work of the devil, so then she, you know, she would not like do her work openly but she still um she still would talk to me about it and you know i used to visit with her and so as you're talking about your grandmother it's it's just the the knowledge you know that that comes from the wisdom of of seeing into people's lives and helping you know to be of help and service at that level and um I mean, and I know, you know, uh, you know, with your father. I mean, that's I, I just, I mean, what a gift that he saw that you and your brother would benefit greatly from being in this wise, you know, woman's presence, your grandmother. And you know, you know, my daughter's living in Italy right now, but she lived in Spain for the last nine months before that, and she's constantly translating back and forth. She she um, was in law school for a year. And, just this, and, and it was an international law program and wound up in Spain in law school and realized she didn't want to be a lawyer. <laughs> and yeah. So, And I was like, well, I support you in not doing that if that's your, you know, I support you in whatever your intention is. But um, so then that has, uh, she took a year off and she's now living in Europe with, you know, just speaking Spanish and speaking Italian like every day and then hoping to go back to Spain and teach English. And, you know, you just these, – these twists and turns of your life that – you know, who would have ever predicted as this little girl that she would be, bi- you know, trilingual and yeah. transiting? So I understood what you were saying because she just, she met this boyfriend from Spain and she said, Mom, it's totally different. I just met his whole family and, you know, it's different. They talk so quickly and, you know, she said, sometimes I just close my eyes, like you were describing, to focus, to like totally get it all.
0: Yeah. And and that, and that, and that and that's exactly the essence of all, all, all of this is, that communication we have with the people we we love, right. that that bond that we have, you know. Like my father always said, in a relationship, fifty percent is that physical, emotional bond that exists between us individuals, and the other fifty percent is the connection we have mind to mind, which is what we call the dream of the planet. The smallest element is two people talking to one another, in that in that in that interaction we the lines of communication is the bridge that allows us to know one another in mind to mind at least and 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 as we learn to uh, another language especially when we fall in love with someone new that line of communication of wanting to see how the, someone else's dreams how someone else sees life and more importantly how to express love in a way in they understand us it's it's a wonderful motivator
1: You know, I just have the utmost respect for, um, you know, for the way you explained, you know, that you're, you know, and I, when you were talking, I thought, I bet this was the whole catalyst. Um, With the knowledge question from your grandmother, I thought, that's the catalyst for this new book of yours. You know, I thought you know it's just perfect. So so let's talk just a moment. You know, one of the um one of the teachings or tenets of your book is becoming aware of how you confuse what you know for who you are. Mm-hmm. So let's let's just talk about this because so many people um you know you you talk about you know this book is for the the new generation of spirit seekers, and I thought that's the name of my magazine and I thought you know it, it is a new generation you know we we've so let's talk about that just a little bit about how the what changes you've seen and what's coming up with these new young young folks
0: well in in the story that you just shared and when when and it's similar to the story that my family went you know with, when you're telling the story of your grandma. Who wasn't able to share, is the same story that ex- exists in, in in our family. You know, as we speak about new generations, the in our tradition this is an oral tradition, which basically means it goes from generation to generation, and it's been mostly taught by stories. And of course, like un- unlike in India, where you can actually see how far the generation, uh, your family goes because you might own the same restaurant for thousands of years, or hundreds of years. Sorry. Um, with us, it's a, there's a, a line of shift because uh, with when the Spanish came in, the Toltecs and the Spanish sh- shifted so much, and I'm a mestizo. I'm the, I'm the product of both both of them. So with that in mind, when the the Spanish came, they came with the Holy Inquisition, with Catholicism. Catholicism allowed himself to uh, bridge and j- join both traditions. When my grandmother's grandfather, Don Ezekiel, you say, Don Ezekiel is the oldest name we have in the tradition of, that's oral that we remember. You can say that's the one flaw to the oral tradition, that we don't. the people who teach us before goes basically on memory. So for us, the memory is Don Ezekiel Macias. He lived to be 116 years old and lived in Mexico, rural Mexico, throughout the 1800s. Uh, he was already a senior when my grandmother was born. He was the the man, the, the Nawal, who says that we come from the Toltec lineage of Eagle Knights, and he's the one who shared the story to his son, Don Leonardo, when Don Esequio was teaching. He could only teach it to the family because to teach it outside the family was dangerous, very similar to how you describe your grandmother, in the sense that uh, the people, the culture around wasn't too tolerant or totally misunderstood it. So he kept the stories um, within the family. Don, Don Leonardo, he opened up the story to uh, the family, but some people outside. He began to bridge it a bit. And then with uh, to her daughter, uh, my, my grandma Sarita, she really began to open it because she started teaching it to people outside the family. She became, she was the matriarch not, and the spiritual leader, not just of our family, but of a community where she lived. So you can say that just if, you, if those three generations alone, the shift was dramatic. Now, enter my dad, Don Miguel Ruiz, and he really opened it, whereas my grandmother just her voice extended to within the confines of a city, and whoever heard from her outside the city went to travel to her. My dad went out to the point where his teachings go all around the world. So where me and my brother Jose and my other brother Leo, the youngest, we're coming into a to a space where we don't know about that, you know, hiding it. Like there was a little bit when we were young, you know, because when we were young in Mexico. To say our grandmother was a curandera was a little bit also a little bit taboo, but nowadays it's, everything has changed from the 90, early nineteen nineties to now it's a lot easier. You can almost say it that that the internet the the ability to for us to communicate more has opened up the possibilities beyond our imagination i could, right now you and I are sitting across the country, in the Midwest and in the Pacific Coast. And and someone can be hearing us in, in India, in Europe, in South America. And that's what's beautiful about it. A conversation that happens between two individuals goes all over the world. And that is the difference of our generation that is used to this. This is what we know. And we are exposed to information in so many ways, that it's beautiful. It's sometimes scary. Sometimes it's daunting. And in, in a time where ignorance theoretically should no longer exist because information has been so already available to us, sometimes in our attachment we gravitate and we close off because we really want to reinforce what we know and we don't want to lose what we have. And sometimes what we have may be a distortion, maybe a, a, an assumption. And in that attachment, we begin to distort knowledge. We begin to distort our perception, especially our perception of ourselves. So what's happening now is that you can say that every generation is handling the opening of information in a different way. And that's what's so beautiful about it. So, yes, even for you, like, for example, if your grandmother had that process of not being able to share, well, here you are, you have your show, and you're sharing with everyone what you know, and that's beautiful. It's the most beautiful gift that we have to be born in this time of age. Is it scary? Well, it's always been scary. What we see in the news is something that was happening before, but we we didn't know that was happening. It's just going faster. So from the spectrum of perception of how attached we are to our own belief that controls our self-acceptance, you can say, because that's the issue. When we're so attached to what we believe, what we believe dictates and controls how we accept ourselves, thus the danger, thus the fear of losing that, because if we lose it, well, what does that say about us?
1: it's It's you know this whole this whole um as you were describing the differences, I'm thinking it's a renaissance time in a in a in a in a, in a totally different way with um you know the internet really was not even like invented that much until what nineteen ninety four you know, and when you look at you know here it is two thousand thirteen and how so much has changed in such a short time with um as you said, you know, being on the show and it being aired, who knows people all over the world you know listen to the the this new form of communication through radio and i I know you also have your own um you know radio show, which you know we can talk about in a moment but but truly, you know the attachment to knowledge what that you're talking about. It's so interesting how it can almost become you describe it as a as a prison in a way with you know all of a sudden we're trapped with all this programming mm-hmm. and then and then you know which is similar to the the fifth agreement being skeptical, and mm-hmm. you know to me. You know that was just a brilliant. You know, the fifth agreement was brilliant after after the four agreements. With okay, so now you have this knowledge and everything, but you still have to be skeptical in order to become your authentic self, which is what you you know you're talking about here.
0: Mm-hmm. And, that's, and that's the thing is like my brother's work with the fifth agreement is beautiful because exactly that the the with the levels of attachment basically when one of the things when I was growing up. And learning about detachment, you know, you have to detach, you have to detach. I'm like, detach from what? You know, sometimes we have no idea. It's so vague that it's it's something that is so complicated. My grandmother explained the levels of attachment, but for her, she used a lot of uh, angels and demons in the form of, you know, similar to the, uh, the, the levels of hell that uh, Dante describes. It almost seemed like that. But it was different because it didn't mean it, it to me. It was it was uh, it didn't resonate as much because it didn't reflect my life. So, but the levels of attachment, as I began to understand it, began this uh, this instrument that allowed me to see where I'm at at this very moment. The secret to transformation is first be- being aware, and once you're aware, you can make a choice. So you can say that I become aware that I'm at level five or level four. I I make a choice. I say, okay, do I want to stay here? If I do, fine. If I want to let go, that desire to let go is the motivator for change. The authentic self level one is present even when we're completely attached to our beliefs at level five. We're always the authentic self. The thing is that we don't we're not aware of it. The filter, the beliefs that we have act like a filter that doesn't allow me to see. So you can say that when I'm aware that I'm life, the authentic self is just a name to describe this living being that animates this body, that animates this full potential. Then we can see awareness like a flower. When at level one, it's completely open. And as we go up the level of attachment, the flower begins to close all the way to the point where we only see one thing, one option, one choice, because our attachments have closed off all of our awareness, all our perception that we're, we have infinite possibilities in life. All that's required of us is to say yes to that direction and say no when we want to say no. My no is just as powerful as my yes. So when we become aware that I am at this level of attachment, then my brother's work, my dad's work, becomes instruments. To be skeptical but learn to listen. To me, that means at the very root of every belief I have in my own belief system, there is a yes. And allowing that ability to give it scrutiny allows me The opportunity to see my belief, my ideas, my thoughts again, and if I continue to believe in it, good. If all of a sudden I see it and it's no longer my truth, then I can let it go. One of the things that gives attachment its strength is conditional love. You see, like you were saying before, we're all we're all programmed with these beliefs, these ideas. But the way we were programmed is what gives these programs this belief strength. We we learn through a concept called domestication, uh, a system of reward and punishment. For every time we do something right, we get a reward. For every time we get it wrong, we get a punishment. For us, since we're an emo- emotional beings, a reward feels like acceptance, which means love. When we do it wrong, we get rejection which is the opposite of love. So all of a sudden, our motivator to create is based on living up to the expectation of what I believe. And that living up to the expectation. All of a sudden, I'm no longer accepting myself for who I am. My acceptance is conditional. So all of a sudden, all these programs that we have have strength over us because every single one of them holds the rule of our own self acceptance, thus we've distorted knowledge knowledge now is corrupt because now because we want what we believe in to be right, for those conditions to be right, then anything that contradicts it, we will challenge, and we won't listen to it. But if we let go and become aware that and we put that skepticism to work, then all of a sudden we are aware of our domestication, then here's where the four agreements. Come in, because to me the four agreements, just like the work of Deepak Chopra, the work of uh, Debbie Ford, uh, may she rest in peace, yes. and and uh, Wayne Dyer, and the Bible, and the Quran, and the, and the Old Testament, and even a drum circle comes in, and, and our and our therapists and our psychiatrists to be able to help us let go of the conditions of our own acceptance, because the four agreements, the five agreements, let me say is an instrument like that. When we use it as an instrument for transformation, it's the most powerful thing. But if we're so attached to our domestication, then we can easily shift and distort even the four agreements and turn them into the four conditions of our own acceptance. Say if I use, don't take things personal, and all of a sudden, oh, I took that personal. Oh, I'm so terrible. Oh, I'm hideous. Just with that, we you can see how we've already distorted an agreement to a condition in the shape of the, one of the four agreements. But when we become aware that we're attached to that mechanism, to that concept, then at the root of it, an agreement is something we say yes to, which gives it life, which gives it strength. So applying the four agreements from that point of view is that it's not the rules of my life. The four agreements are not my, the rules of my own self-acceptance, but it's the instruments that allow me to remember my own authenticity, which is I am life. And all of a sudden, everything shifts, and we, let, and we go into level three. So for me, the lessons that my brother talks about in the fifth agreement, my dad with the four agreements, just as every teacher out there, is exactly this line. The shift between conditional love and and shifting it to unconditional love. The acceptance of me for who I am at this very moment, flaws and all, because I am alive. To me, that's the essence of our work. That ability to live life in complete communion, with life.
1: You know, that's a beautiful word, communion. You know, when you think about it, it's community, communing, you know, being in um in relationship with others. And that that that's a beautiful way to describe, you know, what we're all wanting to achieve, you know, this mm-hmm. unconditional acceptance of self and love and compassion.
0: Mhm. And, you know, that's the thing. When I first started this apprenticeship, I really thought at first it was like going to be this this tour of metaphysical concepts and journey and all these cool, trippy things. And at the end of it, it really comes down to relationships. It's all about relationships. And starting with myself, because I can't give what I don't have. If I have conditional love to give, sorry, if I have conditional love for myself then I have conditional love to give, But if I have unconditional love, then I have unconditional love to give. It it always starts with me because I am this living being that lives in this body and I bring this body to life. And the way I relate with myself, the way in my own personal dream how it functions, it's what I'm able to give to everyone else. Sometimes I've read some some of the critiques of my dad, thinking that it's very egocentric about loving yourself and accepting yourself and all these kind of things. It's all about you. But from the point of view of the judge, of course, yes, that's we 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 tend to think of someone that loves themselves as someone egocentric. But it's a different point of view because in, from that point of view, it's all about conditional love and living up to that expectation and trying to impose that image onto everyone. But what I've come to learn, that what this is, is that the beginning of every relationship that I have in life, I am the constant. I was born alone, and I will die alone, because no one else will live in this body, just me. Which means that every person that comes to my my life will say hello, and they'll say goodbye. So instead of seeing it from that point of view, I see it that... Since I am the constant and I'm always with me from the moment I'm born to the moment I die, that means I am the love of my life. I am the one person I'm always going to be. If I don't like myself, then that relationship throughout my life is going to be very much a nightmare. But if I love myself, then my relationship with myself is going to be beautiful. And that in that sense, in that essence right there, will see and shift how we see the world. If we have That distortion with ourselves, if we don't like ourselves, if our love for ourselves is conditional, then my love and how I see the world is totally through the eyes of that conditional love, and I will always be in conflict. But when I see that relationship with myself as unconditional, then my perception of life shifts and changes, and I have something to give and allows me to re-enter the community, not as the creator of everything, but as the co-creator of the dream of us. And every single individual I meet, every single person that's in my life, that relationship is completely unique to us. Mm-hmm. And at the essence, it is me that will enjoy it, and it is me that I'm able to give. My my dad loves to saying, love is the balance between... Gratitude and generosity Gratitude for the things we receive in life And the generosity of giving what we have And the question is Are we giving conditional love Or are we giving unconditional love And what we give is what we give ourselves And to me that's the point of all this work
1: You know um there's There's a saying that I recently ran across from lasu um but before i before I say that, I just you know when I think about the word commune or community and you think of yeah. compassion, you know that that same root you know word the come being together and united, and you know when we're in the flow and we're loving ourselves that that radiates out. You know, it just affects everyone. You know, when we're happy and joyful, you know, the cells in our body just sing. And everyone that comes in, you know, within our radius, shall we say, is affected by that. And, you know, this this saying from Lao Tzu, which, uh, you know, I just love his teachings. He says, if you are depressed, you are living in the past. Mm -hmm. If you are anxious, you are living in the future. Mm -hmm. If you are at peace, you are living in the present. Mm-hmm. Which is what the authentic self—it just feels, you know, and not being like, like with the five levels of attachment. Like, if you're living in this moment, you are constantly present, so mm-hmm. you can see where your attachments, you mm-hmm. know, the, you know, are coming. Well, you know, and we always have to change and shift. I mean, the programming. Can you imagine if we tried to live, you know, the way we did, you know, as some of the programming programming with our parents being our first teachers, you know, and I remember one of my, my first, well, not first, but one of my greatest teachers said, if you want to have more compassion for your parents, look at what they learned about being parents from their parents. Yeah. The programming that goes on so intergenerationally forever until someone says, wait a minute, that's not true.
0: Mm-hmm. That's true. You're right.
1: So this this wisdom that you are bringing with this book and um talking about, you know, you know, what tips do you have, you know, for someone who is just saying, okay, my life is not where I want it. I'm stressed, I'm, you know, I'm in worry, you know, I'm not, you know, where would you suggest that they start with getting to know their authentic self? Where do they start scratching the surface with this?
0: Well, like I was saying before, we're always the authentic self. It's just a matter that we are not aware of it. At least we're not seeing it. Whatever we're putting our attention is not allowing us to see that we are, we are the authentic self. There's a like a student came up to my dad, and there's there's something that happens since that since I was uh, what 15, 14 years old, something that tends to repeat itself over and over. Someone going up to my dad and saying, "Don Miguel, Don Miguel, help me, help me find the real me." my authentic self, and my father says, you're right in front of me. No, 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 that's not what I mean. I mean, can you help me find the real me? For the longest time, I realized that my dad gave him the answer. You're right in front of me. And uh, when a student says, no, 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 that's not what I mean. I mean the authentic self. When we have that, sometimes we we have this image of what the authentic self is, and we have give it a definition. The, the, The authentic self is an empty definition who's subject completely to our own agreement. This is life. Life is completely can go in any direction in life. So the way we see ourselves and how we see ourselves is at this very moment, breathe. (sighs) Breathe right now and, and see how wonderful it is to be alive. At that very moment, you will see and feel the authentic self, which is life. In life, when we engage ourselves and allow ourselves to experience life through our senses, through this living body, all of a sudden remembering that we are alive is the beginning part. Like like a drug addict or an, uh, an alcoholic that all of a sudden has a moment of awareness, that, that moment of clarity, where all of a sudden I realize, huh, what have I done? And, and not necessarily what I've done. I'm like, wow, I see my truth. This is my truth. This is where I'm at. This is my creation. And when I see my creation, I see that I've said yes to all these things. Then at the moment, I have a, I have a choice. I can continue to do it, or I can change my mind. And that's exactly where we're at. That moment that you're asking about how do we start to find the authentic self is that moment where we realize that we are alive because we're the authentic self even when we're completely attached at level 5 we are the authentic self i used to think that it was would be like the the, the great teachers sai baba christ and and people like that and then i realized that every person i meet is the authentic self because everyone's alive everyone is manifesting the life they want sometimes with awareness and sometimes without And that's the point where we begin to shift how we see life. My yes is that powerful that I'm able to manifest it. And my no is just as powerful as my yes. Because with my no, I can stop action. I can stop something from manifesting. Combine my yes and my no as the chisels by which I create the masterpiece of my own life. And that I am in control of that. Then... At that very moment, we can see what the true power we have choice. And what gives it that power is that I am a living being. Just like I'm able to move my arm, just like I'm able to pull in air into my diaphragm and slowly let it out as the vocal cords in my, and the muscles in my mouth shape that wind to sound like words intent lays with me, and I'm the master. This is the authentic self. I am alive.
1: And then, yeah. You know, I had this, this, uh, privilege of having a press pass for one of louise hayes conferences in 2005 and it was in a very you know odd place at the time i thought what is she doing having this in las vegas and it was in in one of the hotels with casinos everywhere and it was actually when she kicked off her radio show so it was 2005 and at that particular seminar christine northrup turned 50 uh, Denise Lynn turned 50, Carolyn Mace had just turned 50, and I, I was like this sponge wanting, you know, I had a press pass. So, you know, really I was supposed to just go to a seminar like for each session, but I thought, you know what, no one's going to know because I have this press pass. So I was in and out, you know, with all these seminars, and then I landed in Debbie Ford's class. Mm -hmm. And I had heard of her, you know, she had written The Dark Side of the Light Chasers, and she had started her shadow work. Mm -hmm. And yesterday, right as we were finishing the March issue, um, you know, I received, you know, the notice that she had made her transition. And I'll tell you, when I, when I, and I had fully intended on being in her class, you know, maybe a half hour, and then on to the next speaker so that I could cover as many people. And I, I was stopped in my tracks when I entered her class, when she started, you know, doing the shadow process and people talking about these parts of themselves that they never admitted to anyone and her bringing it up to the light. So I just want to honor her and, you know, just for the work that she did, nine bestsellers constantly, you know, encouraging with compassion but also directness when people mm-hmm. were, like, you know, not not being authentic, shall we say. Okay. You know, and just the work that she did. And if you would like to add anything, you know, I, I would be very grateful.
0: Well, Debbie Ford was a beautiful, beautiful light. And her light still shines, maybe not in the physical form, but the work that she left behind, will continue to touch many people's hearts. To me, that work of the sh- the shadow and, and the dark side of the spirit chasers illustrates something that I've witnessed so much throughout my life from watching my dad t- teaching students and throughout. Sometimes when we work so hard towards our goal of achieving enlightenment or love or whatever it is that we path, that we reach, Sometimes we tend to push out and deny our full. Like we we tend to suppress that other side. The thing is that the other side is simply agreements that we have, and we tend to try to deny ourselves that. And what Debbie created, taught us is that true compassion and unconditional love is an encapsulating thing. It abro it up it. it embraces the light as much as it embraces the dark. This is the yin and yang. The yin and yang, the white and the black with our little holes in the side, really represent one full circle, one. I am one. I am the light and I am the dark because as the potential that I have in life, I can go in 360 degrees and my choice can lead me to either side. From that point of view, good and bad is completely subjugated to our own agreements, to our beliefs. So it's always a point of view. What Debbie Ford taught us is that in embracing who we are completely, we live life authentically because at every single moment we're accepting our whole. And she put it in a way that was so beautiful, and it's something that, yes, it's it's uh, a lot of teachers share it, and we all experience it. But, but something in the way that Debbie talked about it, because it was her process that she was sharing it. It was alive, and it's something where we were able to recognize in ourselves. In my point of view, to this very day, you can say. We all have this idea of what it is to be a spiritual person. And sometimes we completely reject the whole. But when we embrace the whole, including our dark side, then the power of our will, of our intent, is even stronger. Because even though I embrace my dark side, I'm saying yes to the light. And recognizing that, that I have the potential of the other side, that I'm actively saying yes, well, that's a beautiful thing, because at the very moment I'm embracing, we're embracing our pure, pure intent, and claiming it. To me, that that is one of the most beautiful messages that Debbie Ford shared with us, and and it's a beautiful process. It's a beautiful thing, and she is going to be missed because there was a, a, she was working on a book. Yeah. And now we don't know what's going to be the end of it, but it'll be exciting to see. Hopefully, Ariel might be be able to continue with the work and see where she can continue with it. And but we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Yes.
1: Thank you. Thank you for sharing. I um. We we are all touched by her wisdom, and she is still with us. You know. Yep. And um, I I think that you know your new book is um is very much, you know, with with constantly, not constantly, but but being present and making new agreements that are that are in line with our authentic self is is so powerful, you know, with with letting go of the fear, letting go of, you know, what will people think if all of a sudden, you know, I like you know the book Eat Pray Love. I know it's kind of funny, but here's this woman who eats her way through Italy. Praise her way through, you know, temples, and then learns how to love, you know. And that book changed a lot of people. This simple yeah. book that just said, okay, I'm not happy, I need to figure out why I'm not happy, and I need to go, you know, I'm going to do it through this journey of experiencing the self. And,
0: yeah.
1: you know, letting go of all the opinions of others and judgments, it takes courage.
0: Yeah. Well, you you shared with us a beautiful story with your daughter. You know and how she let go of being a lawyer. It reminds me of my dad's story when he let go of being a doctor. Oh, I and,
1: forgot that part.
0: Yeah, it's it's, uh, it's both of them did that jump. You know, imagine my mom and my my grandma when my dad uh, let go. Because I was I was eight years old when that happened. When that shift happened in his life, I remember that. I remember the Miguel. I remember Miguel, my dad. And I remember him before that moment of a shift. I remember him during his, during his transition, during during his process. I remember that, and I remember what came out. And I'm I've, I'm I'm I'm. You can say that I'm blessed, blessed to have seen that transition. When my grandmother began to teach me, she was already a master. But to witness my dad's trans- transition was an incredible thing, because in that it shows us that anyone can do it because even even if we are born into this family for example the the Ruiz family it it be i'd be lying to you if we say we all start from that light, no, we rebel we dark we 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 we, we have our moments of of downtime we have our moments of conflict we have our moments of <clears throat> And it reminds us of something my grandma always told us. There's no saint that wasn't a sinner before. And it's a lesson that allows us to remember that, you know, at any given moment we can shift. And that when that shift happens and it comes from something we want, it's powerful. You can say that how to live authentically, to me, it's very simple. The difference between I have to and I want to. Choice. If I if I have to, you can already hear the voice of my domestication already ruling into me. I have to say no to you because you and I are dressed differently. I am saying no to you because of the way you voted. Did you vote uh, red? Did you vote blue? Did you vote for this? Did you make? Are you one of the one percenters? Are you, no? You ask people, and we have all these divisions that separate us. And don't doesn't allow us to see humanity. From there, it's all about, I have to. But when we start beginning to make our life from the point of view of, I want to. Then everything shifts. Because in that expression of, I want to. We're expressing something in us, in our life. Necessarily because we have to have it, like Gollum. But. In life, there's something that, yes, I willingly, with complete control and awareness of my own power, say yes. I'm going to say yes to that. Because just as much as I say yes, I can easily say no. I have the right to say no, just as much as anyone else has the right to say no to me. In respecting my desire in life, not necessarily my my ego, but a desire in life to say, this is the life I want to live for myself. This is the life that allows me to be happy. And throughout that, I'm accepting myself exactly for who I am. Then life is beautiful. Yes, sometimes there will be people who make agreements that doesn't go with what we believe and we say, hey, what are you doing? But that's the thing about respect. When we respect someone else's creation, we're respecting our own. Because every single person has the right to create life in their own way. From that respect, you and I can come together and respecting each other's will, each other's intent to listen to one another, to engage one another, we can build the dream of us. Whereas before, we so used to Imposing and subjugating upon each other our beliefs. Every time we judge someone, is us trying to impose onto them our will. And we're judging them for agreements they never made. We think they've made the agreements, but we're projecting onto them agreements they never made. They're living life in their own way. Right. And that's what's beautiful about it. Sometimes people make their agreements in the light. Some people make their agreements in the dark. And that's what's beautiful about it, because regardless of how, whether we agree with it or not, it is a manifestation of their own will. The question is, what do I control then? Me. I control me. I control my yes. I control my no. And I control to the tips of my fingers, to the tips of my toes. That's what I control, which means I don't control anyone else. Which means I'm free to say yes and I'm free to say no. And together we are free to make agreements that create the bridge between you and I as we create the foundations of the dream of us. Yet there is a matrix and it's binary. Like when the movie came out and trying to describe the dream of the planet. Yes, the matrix. Well, the matrix or the dream of a planet is composed of a binary system because the matrix in that movie was composed of ones and zeros. But the dream of the planet is composed of yes and no. For every yes we say yes to, something will be made. For something we say no to, something won't be made. If we step outside of our home and look into our neighborhood, we will see the buildings that we as a community said yes to. What we don't see is the buildings that we as a community said no to. And that is how our dream of the planet works. When we have respect, the mutual yeses build a beautiful communion. When we say no, something won't be done. And that's the reason why imposing and subjugation exist. This is why domestication exists. If I want to impose my dream onto someone else, Then I have to disrespect them and take away their ability to say yes and no. This is what happened to almost all of us in our growing up. This is the program to make believe and make us forget that we had control of our own yes and no, and we become subjugated to someone else's point of view. As we let go and become free of that, there's a moment of choice. Do I continue to subjugate and impose my dream unto someone else, or do I choose to engage them with respect? And we build the dream of us based on that respect.
1: Wow. Beautiful. Beautiful way of explaining it and just very beautiful. And, you know, listeners, this you were listening to Don Miguel uh, Ruiz Jr., and you know, to hear more, he has wonderful free audio, uh, audio uh, wisdom available on his website, which is Miguel Ruiz Jr. I'm going to spell it M-I-G-U-E-L R-U-I-Z J-R dot com. He has a weekly radio show at 2 p.m. Uh, on Wednesdays uh, Central, that's Central Standard Time, called The Way of the Desert. You know, you you are so generous, and I know that you're doing private coaching and you're doing classes. Um, would you like to share just a little bit about that part of your your work? And and I know the five levels of attachment is just coming out March first. Mm-hmm. It's due for release. And so so what about your other work? You know, what would you like to share with the listeners? As, as... Well, uh,
0: I I haven't done uh, private coaching. Uh, cause I, I what I've done oh. is we shifted it. Uh, we, we I do somewhat semi uh, private. What it is, is that I have something called the the Academy of Awareness. Every Monday, I get together and uh, we do online classes. And my dad sometimes participates, Heather Ash, Amara participates, and I do. And every uh, Monday, a group uh, from the class gets together, and I'm there and I'm answering questions. And we 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 continue this. It's like uh, continuing the oral tradition. Sometimes, like, uh, I used to do one-on-ones, and and the reason why I somewhat shifted it was because sometimes someone would ask an incredible question that a lot of people would benefit from and no one else was there to hear it. So what I did was like we we started this academy of awareness and I it's a it's a place that we just named it that where you know I get together with other people online and we interact and people ask questions and, it do- and at that point, that's what it feels like. It uh, becomes private, uh, one-on-one, because someone is asking the question, and there's other people in- listening to that question, and me answering. And that interaction is what gives that class of life. So for me, right now, that's like those are the things I'm, I'm doing: the Academy of Awareness, the Miguel Ruiz Academy of Awareness. You can find a link to it in both my dad and myself website. I'm doing the, the the Way of the Desert. Which is like a radio blog because it's me just there processing out loud. The reason why I call it the way of the desert is for us in our tradition, the desert is the place we go to process life. So I go in there and I process what I'm processing. You know, sometimes it's very smooth and clean. Sometimes it's uh, it's well, it's rough and and uncut because I'm I'm unlive. I'm, live. I'm processing something that I'm working through, sometimes really personal, sometimes not so personal, and I share it, and that's what the way of the desert is. And now I'm uh, with my book. I have I shared the of well, my teachings for the last four or five years and what I've learned, and now I'm touring with my dad and presenting events, like I'm going to be in San Diego this weekend and in Irvine, and then the following week we'll be in in, uh, in Los Angeles then I'm going to be up in Sacramento, then Seattle, and I'm touring. I'm I'm promoting the book. It's a it's a busy time, but the 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 the, the Academy Awareness is the one thing where I'm always on.
1: Well, in in closing, I just you know cannot thank you enough for taking the time. I know you're a you're a husband, you're a father, you're a son. You're you're very busy and. Uh, but I want to close with your saying on your website: "Success is the natural consequence of doing something I love to do."
0: Yes,
1: I love that.
0: Yeah, it's it's it was beautiful. All of us like if if you can imagine a mu- a musician who loves to play because he or she loves to play, then success is something natural. Because even when we're tuning the guitar or practicing, it's still something we love to do. And it's something like that allows us to be alive. And I believe you and I are are experiencing this. What you and I do is fun and enjoyable. And because we love doing it, well, look at where we're at. I know. It's a wonderful (laughs) thing.
1: We're both very blessed. And, you know, I just want to thank the readers of Spirit Seeker Magazine for over 15 years for making this show possible for all of the different people who have come together, you know, with the wisdom and the teachings. And, you know, I, the, the book, Five Levels of Attachment, Toltec Wisdom for the Modern World, you know, it, it's. I just thank you for creating this. I thank your grandmother for initiating you. I thank your father for initiating you. But I thank you most of all for finding your own way and bringing this wisdom to us.
0: Thank you so much, Cindy. Thank you so much for allowing me to play with you for the last hour, and and it's so much fun. Um, uh, Hopefully, one day I will be able to do it again, and it's 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 fun.
1: Yes, absolutely. So, so from my heart to your heart in gratitude. Thank you so much, and everyone have a wonderful evening. And remember, this show is archived immediately afterwards. Share the link. It's on Facebook. It's all over and. Um, just please, please let people know so that they too can share um this knowledge that was offered this evening. So thank you so much. Okay. Thank you, Cindy. All right, night. okay. Good night, night everyone.
0: everyone. Love you. Bye. Bye.